Welcome to the Hermit's Land Podcast. I'm going to get to the podcast in a minute, but before I do, I want to tell you about this thing that I've been working on for about five years now. Just after my godmother died from cancer, I realized that if we wanted to overcome all the crap that goes on in this world, we really needed to maybe find a way to work to help life fight against um all the problems that we face, sickness, death, loss, hate, all of it. So I started this process of making a tarot deck with a whole bunch of other artists to raise money for cancer research. And I called it the Triumph of Life deck. Each artist made a card that pointed to the hope and the possibilities that could be found in that card to help people move forward from times of difficulty. So here we are, and now it's done. And all of the money from creating this deck is going to go towards cancer research. So jump over to thehermitslamp.com slash T-O-L for Triumph of Life and get yourself one. Hey everybody, welcome to another installation of the Hermit's Lamp podcast. Uh, Today I am hanging out with... The people collectively known as Stacking Skulls, our fake occult rock band. Um, we have Aiden Wachter, uh, Fabeku, and uh, absent but hopefully overcoming technical difficulties to join us, uh, Jonathan Emmett. Um, how's it going, guys? Good. Good. How are you? I'm doing all right. It's been... Uh, it's been a, a while since we all conversed, like three or four months now. And, you know, I, th- I feel like the internet was almost a, a Twitter with a uh, mention of it this week. There's a long list of questions from a lot of people. So, <laughs> which is good. That means that we don't have to think of, we don't have to think of anything, which is better. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I guess a, a question that, that I was thinking we could start with is, you know, what's, what's going on? that's new with you spiritually or magically since the last time we hung out, you know, something surfaced or something catching your interest, you know, what's, what's going on with that? For me, um, really with the seasonal shift, uh, mainly, uh, my trance work, which is always the big thing for me, um, really blew up, uh, in a really intense fashion. And, uh, kind of a number of uh, practices changed a lot within there because there's a lot of stuff that I do in that world and some of it's controlled and some of it's spontaneous and just happens. Uh, And a bunch of the structures that I had kind of set in place years ago shifted into a way more uh, potent form. And uh, some of the relationships that I have in there have really uh, kind of revealed a whole other layer. So that's the that's the thing going on for me. 
Yeah, for me, it's uh, and and I think part of it is seasonal. There's this there's this push uh, to kind of strip everything down. There's a big uh, let's put that away and that away, and let's stop doing that, and we can stop doing this, and let's just focus on a, on a couple of things uh, and dig a little deeper into that. Uh, the the trance work on this end is is amped pretty considerably too, um, and playing with some some new, uh, a new formula for incense I've been messing around with on that front, which has been good. There's, uh, this whole weird, um, I don't know what to call it other than like this imaginary saint project thing happening that started with dreams where there was some dialogue with Burroughs and Bowie about, you know, if you can't find the gods you need, then invent them kind of thing. So there's just weird shit happening there, which is kind of fascinating. Um, been doing a lot of divination too. I mean, I think I always do, but it seems like uh, way more than usual for the last mm, six weeks or so. It's been uh, pretty constant. I've been wearing the cards out. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah. What about you, Andrew? Yeah, I've been, um, I've been gearing up to sort of, um, I feel like now is a time where, and, and this is kind of seasonal, where I'm really like looking at planting the seeds for stuff, you know, um, part of that's going to look like, uh, going out and burying some stuff in the woods for the winter, um, and digging it up next year. Um, part of that is like collecting, you know, I was, I was walking down the street the other day and all of these, um, uh, milk pods are there, you know, and uh, those things that the butterflies really like, you know, and all the pods that are full of those little flat steeds with all the white fluffy stuff. Um, and there was a, a handful of still sealed ones. And so I collected those and, you know, I'm going to be doing some work towards planting next year's thing. You know, mm, cool. I, I'm not really, uh, for me, this is kind of the end of the year. Um, the end of the year is, is kind of uh, almost like an in-between time where nothing really exists, you know? And so this is a time where I'm kind of focusing a lot on completing things and finishing things and where I'm really sort of geared up with this idea of what am I, what am I planting for next year? So that's where a lot of my, my work is going and my attention, you know, I'm planning my kind of planning my life, which to some extent means planning some of my magic, you know, through into 2019 now, you know, so it's like, it's a lot of long, long looking, and and as you say, like a lot of sitting with the cards and looking at stuff and asking those questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I get that. The the, uh, the the long looking thing has been a thing for me too. It's been, um, you know, part of this year is it's it's been a weird year in a lot of ways, and uh, some things shaking out exactly as I thought. Some things not so much, and and uh, kind of looking at at new uh, trajectories and what that means and how it lines up in my work, but like you said, how it lines up with the magic. So it's kind of this, it is this longer term uh, sort of charting the course and then looking at the magic that supports it. Yeah. Right. And that, that syncs up beautifully with me because that's the other thing going on, uh, not immediately recently, but it's ramping up right now is, uh, whereas uh, last year was very much focused on six ways, which is off being laid out right now by Jen Zart. Uh, that's produced a whole bunch of stuff. So things that I really kind of had been trying to avoid, which was like teaching, uh, (laughs) 
uh, and the, the the powers that be have been getting ever more clear. Like, no, you're going to do that. That's that that's what's going to happen, and you can either uh, submit to that or uh, you can submit to that later. Uh, <laughs> which one is yeah. more fun for you? Uh, yeah. And uh, as I was telling Fabeku. Uh, yesterday uh one of the funny side effects from that is i began writing notes that were that were trance notes and then two hours and later and a couple thousand words later i'm like okay this is either part of the class (laughs) or this is the intro to the next book (laughs) i don't know but this is clearly just going on which i didn't think i really thought that the book was going to be kind of a a standalone just end it thing because I'm dumb that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, let's let's be honest, right? Where where is where is that ever the case? I don't I don't know <laughs> for me that things work that way, you know? I, I finished and sent my deck into my publisher back in September and a week later I was starting the next project, right? right. You know, and I mean not not full tilt in the same way, but definitely starting the next project, you know. And I mean, this is just how it goes. Um, but you said something that I, that I think I'd like to kind of like pull out a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, th- this idea of like, you know, you said uh, you can either submit to that now or you can submit to it later, whichever makes you happier or something like that, right? <laughs> right. Um, I, I'm curious about this, this notion of um, uh, submitting or of like sort of that intersection where the will of spirit that we work with and our will and how, how is that, how does that work? You know, what's, what, what do you struggle with around that? How does that play out? You know, do you have thoughts and feelings about that? You know, I do. Um, It's kind of, this is all stuff that clarified while writing the book uh, because the theme of the book is kind of how do we work or how do I work within a spirit ecology? Uh, and I view this not in the, there's kind of a, how I read a lot of the Western takes on uh, kind of animist spirit ecologies is a little bit um, off to my experience. And part of this I know is because my brain is bringing into this my background, which is more biology uh, and physical systems. And so I tend to experience things on the other world in a somewhat similar way, right? So instead of being uh, like a pagan, which I don't consider myself, instead I see uh, this kind of vast sea of organisms that, uh, that work with us. And I do see them as you know, spirit beings in a kind of more traditional way, but the whole structure is more biological. Uh, And so within that, one of the things that I've been kind of having to to really face and play with the last couple of years is if I'm simply a component in this much larger organism, um, the extent of my sovereignty is somewhat limited. Mm. Uh, It's not that I don't have any. Uh, but I also have a function within this whole thing. Uh, and I can choose to some degree to play or not play, uh, but only to some degree. Uh, and there's lots of things I get total control on. All of my kind of 
practical magic stuff I get to control. But what goes on with the spirit world uh, and kind of the things that happen in trance and in those long-term relationships there, uh, the longer I play, the more I kind of accept that this is the reality, that I'm a, a part of a, an organism and that part of what goes on is I need to be willing to fulfill my functions. Mm. Uh, and I can either do that in a, a, a happily willing way or I can kind of be pushed into those spaces. And it's definitely better if I wander in happily and go, okay, what are we doing? What's that about? <laughs> and it, and it, I've never had anything cough up where I go, no, that's not anything I'm interested in or that's not anything I won't do. Uh, it's always legit. Uh, and I can see the sense behind it, but the timing and things are often not what I would choose. Mm. Yeah. How about you, Fabeku? <sighs> you know, for me, I look at it as a, you know, the whole idea of coherence, obviously it's a, it's a big deal and it's central to what I do. It's central to the way I, I look at magic and, and, I think it's, for me, it's key to successful magic, effective magic. And, you know, the relationships that I have with the others, the people, uh, I, I feel like they, they show up in response to my request for coherence. And so when they toss shit out and are like, hey, do this, uh, at this point, uh, I trust that that's a, that's instructions that catalyzes further coherence. And still, sometimes my initial response is, you've got to be fucking kidding. Uh, <laughs> and so I think that there's, I, I think that there's, for me, it's almost like a, I get the, the organism piece that, that Aiden's talking about. I think uh, for me, there's moments where it feels like there's this equation that, that you build relationships with these spirits you do particular magical work. It supports a specific tra trajectory that lines up as an equation. And there's variables in the equation, some of which are in my hands, some of which are in the hands of the spirit, some of which are in the hands of, you know, the randomness of life and whatever. And if I press pause at my point in the equation, then there's a gap. And at some point that gap will have to resolve itself. And whether that means I get the fuck over myself and do whatever it is that they've pointed me in the direction of doing, or if the weirdness and randomness of life fills that in, I don't know. But what I know at this point is uh, the, the, the sort of default ways that it fills in, if I press pause, usually are kind of shitty. Uh, <laughs> and, I've, and I've experienced that enough that, uh, I'm not so interested. So usually even at this point, if my initial response is you've got to be fucking kidding, really the complete sentence is you've got to be fucking kidding and, you know, uh, give me a second to kind of get over myself and get with the program. And I, and I usually do. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, like Aiden, I mean, there's nothing that's, that's shown up that's just been like, uh, absolutely not. No, no way, no how is that happening. And if it did, then uh, you know, I would make a different decision with that, but, uh, that's really never been the case. And so I think for me, it's, uh, I look at it as, is, uh, allowing the equation to solve itself, to complete itself. And I think in some ways, which I don't, I don't know why I'm using models for equation because math is not my thing, but there's, there's something about that that feels like, uh, a clear articulation of magic that everybody fills in the variables things move through the equation and then whatever it is is resolved. And so if, if I end up creating a gap in that process, 
then that gap's going to reflect itself either in the magical results or in the results of my life or, you know, whatever. And I'm, uh, I've, I've done that enough that at this point I'm kind of over it. So. Yeah. And I think that the, those, you know, what you refer to as like getting over yourself, you know, I mean, I definitely see in myself and others where that stuff is. That's the, that's like, wait, wait, I got to go solve a different equation sometimes. Right. <laughs> and that equation might take a lot of solving, right. Depending <laughs> on what it is, you know, I mean, you know, it's one of those things uh, when, when stuff kind of like, when I see people engaged with the Orisha traditions and one of the common things that comes up in the readings is like, Hey, don't do this this year. Right. You know, don't, uh, don't have guests in your house. Don't be out after dark. Don't stand out at the crossroads. Don't drink, you know, Mm -hmm. don't whatever. And, you know, and you can see people just be like, no, no, I can't. Uh, That's not cool. I'm not going to do that. Right. And to me that, that personally is always, Oh, I see. I've got an unresolved equation and there's something here that needs to get tidied up. Mm -hmm. And maybe that then allows that to open up to that deeper coherence that I'm actually looking for. But, you know, our, our, our darling problems, you know, often kind of hinder that process. And, you know, when they get highlighted, it's easy to sort of point at, you know, whatever spirit we want to point at and be like, no, it's too much. It's not reasonable. It's not whatever. But, you know, yeah, if we can figure out how we can roll with that, it's, it's certainly never, never let me down to roll with it even though sometimes the journey has been a little flexible. My godmother used to laugh sometimes when she'd read for me. She'd be like, well, it's a good, it's a good thing you, uh, that you're willing to be flexible in your ego because blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, uh, okay. <laughs> you know? No, and you know, I think what my perspective on, on it, I think what's made it easier to get over myself in moments is, you know, I think when you, when you engage in the practice of magic, and you form these relationships, you have the opportunity to have extraordinary things happen and to live an extraordinary life and to, uh, to, to do things that, that shouldn't be possible and to see things that shouldn't be possible. And if, if, uh, in support of that, if that means I need to get over myself, then I'll get over myself for fuck's sakes. You know, mm-hmm. I, it, in some ways it feels like, and even when the, the getting over myself has been big and it's taken a while to solve it, really, in retrospect, I think the what's given in response is is more, you know, the, the return is high. And so if that means I need to get out of my own way to, to be able to continue to be a participant in that flow, in that equation, then, I mean, you know, to me, that's kind of a no-brainer, even though there's still moments that I don't dig it at all. And, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, Jonathan, are you on the line now? Looks like there's... Should I really answer that? <laughs> hey, welcome <laughs> to the party. Welcome, welcome. Hey, sorry. Computer issues and phone didn't want to cooperate, so I just dialed in. So I can't see you guys as beautiful as you are. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I'll try not to step over anyone while I'm in here. No worries. Well, we'll make it all work. Um, so one of the things that came up, uh, as, as I was kind of, as we were all gearing up towards this was, um, people asked a lot of questions, you know, historically I'm like, Hey, what questions do people have for this guest? And like people post something or they mostly just say, Oh, I'm excited and I can't wait to talk to them. 
But that was not the case this time. There were like a massive <laughs> list of questions. So I, I want to kind of like uh, see if we can touch on a lot of those. Right? Um, but like I think that one of the things that we sort of started talking about a little bit very briefly, and I thought maybe you might start with, was um, people were really curious about how, I think specifically for Beku and your dream life with, you know, all the wonderful visitors you get in your dream life happens. But I think in a broader sense, like what, what if any dream work are people doing and what are they doing to kind of, what might they have done to get to that place? You want to roll with that first there for Baku? Sure. Uh, so my dreams have not always been like this. Um, and I never actually really set out. Uh, I, th- there was never a point where I sat down and said, okay, I'm going to do specific work to build up dreams. So it's something other than my brain, just vomiting shit all night. Uh, when things started to change, there's, there's been kind of a few things that changed. Uh, probably the first significant catalyst was, uh, 15, 16 years ago. There was some plant medicine work that I did that, uh, seemed to have some, uh, fairly immediate shifts. And I thought it was a temporary thing and that doesn't seem to be the case. Um, it, it's been, it feels like it unlocked something that I wasn't, Um, either I wasn't accessing before or wasn't accessing regularly at all. Uh, the other part of it for me has been, uh, drumming. I do a lot of drumming stuff. It's been kind of a big thing since I was, I don't know, 13 or 14 or something. Um, consistently drumming has made a difference. You know, I, I noticed for me, I usually, I always sort of start and end the day with drumming and some offerings and, and other things like that. And, uh, if there are periods for whatever reason that I don't do that, uh, I can, I can tell a pretty discernible shift in dreams. Um, I think those are probably the two biggest things. And since, since the shift in dreams has happened since then, I've done, uh, I've done some other work to kind of further, uh, dive into that and kind of amp the clarity around it and, you know, sort of amp the signal and reduce the noise kind of thing. And that's mostly been uh, a mix of, of offerings and, and sigil magic specifically for dreaming things and uh, that kind of piece. But, uh, you know, I, uh, I've never, I've never done anything with lucid dreaming. If it's happened, it's happened maybe a couple of times and it's been purely accidental. Um, you know, I've never, and the interesting thing is I still, and I don't know why, I think it's probably just missing the obvious in some ways, but uh, I still don't see dreaming as a big part of what I do, which is weird because I think at this point, almost every night there's something happening. But um, yeah, it, it wasn't the norm for me at all for a long time. And then it feels like all of a sudden a vault opened up and it's like, oh, hey, there's that thing over there. Um, and now it it's... Uh, yeah, there's, there's been some pretty cool jewels that have shaken out from that dream weirdness, you know? And of course I still, I mean, you know, a few nights ago I had a dream where I was fighting some fighting with somebody about a fucking styrofoam cup. So, you know, it's, it's not all burrows and Bowie and, and magic shit. There's, there's still plenty of bullshit in the mix. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How about you, Jonathan? Do you, do you visit the spirits in your dreams? I don't do, I mean, I, I, I don't do anything in particular, I guess. I mean, more intent than anything uh, right before I go to bed, but I don't, it's not something I'm kind of like Fabico. I don't really organ, I don't really, 
I don't know, try to instigate it, I guess, in most cases. Unless, of course, it's a healing, and then that's that's a personal healing. That's, that's a whole other animal. But And I don't, I mean, I guess it is a dream, but I don't really consider that a dream, I guess. Um, like working with my spirits and, and my guides to, to heal something in my life that I need help taking care of. That's one of the main things that I do in dream work. Um, but as, as far as, you know, doing anything in particular, I, I can't really say that. I mean, um, I, I don't know about you guys, but I love this time of year because and dreams are, are more vivid and, and more plentiful. Um, maybe I just work too damn much. And so I'm sleeping harder. I don't know. But <laughs> so, uh, I really can't, uh, say that there's anything in particular that I do that would make it make dreams happen more. I mean, I don't stuff my pillow with mugwort or anything, although that's an idea. How about you, Aiden? Um, right now, the trance stuff has been so big in the last year that I've let go a lot of my dream practices, uh, really simply because of just kind of data overload and because I do my trance work in the middle of the night almost every night. Uh, uh, I've kind of had to pick which one was going to get the energy and the trance work is having way more specific, uh, coherent kind of it's, it's, it's where the real deal is. Um, in the past, I've used a lot of different practices to, to kind of jack up the intensity and the clarity and the, uh, kind of data heaviness of the, of the, of the thing. Um, mostly involving types of sigil magic, things like mugwort, uh, and a lot of uh, playing with varieties between, it's usually some combination, uh, and it's changed over time of, uh, uh, you know, mugwort, skullcap, passionflower, uh, licorice root, and anise seed, that those things seem to be good. Some of them are good for keeping you asleep. Some of them are good for kind of, I want to say kind of like uh, putting a, a, like the sand and the pearl into the dream state, mm -hmm. uh, like uh, being a little bit of an aggravant uh, so that it kind of gets things going and some to kind of balance out so that when things go nightmarish, they don't, it doesn't throw you out. You don't panic and wake yourself up. Because uh, that was a big thing for me to figure out how to do. Like, how do I ride out the fact that there's usually these stress points in my kind of magical dreams that are really freaky? Uh, and so that's where I kind of got into the herbal use on that. But I've let most of that stuff go, as I said, in the last couple of years, because my focus is on trance. Cool. I, um, 15, 16 years ago, I did uh, about two years of Jungian analysis and um, during which I was like heavy in my ceremonial phase and doing initiations and, and lots of meditation and stuff like that. And uh, the person that I worked with uh, loved it because I remembered everything from every night. You know, I would just show up with these like tomes full of dreams to talk <laughs> about. And, um, and probably about a quarter of the time, during that I would lucid dream. Um, and I had like sort of started this process of trying, I was really, I was hanging out with a lot of people who were really interested in the idea 
and everybody was talking about all these different kinds of techniques to get to it. Um, but really the, the thing that helped me the most was just actually like sorting my crap out, right? Like, you know, removing that stuff that was showing up in my dreams as stuff from my shadow to sort of like try and get my attention. Once I started talking to my shadow explicitly and really like working with that and being open to that, then it sort of stepped back and it's like, sure, whatever you like. And then for a long time, sort of through that time and for years afterwards, I would, uh, I would dream and go spend time with teachers while I was asleep and, you know, learn things and, and visit places and do stuff like that. And these days, well, a lot of that kind of started to end when I had kids because I lost my capacity to have any real control over my amount of sleep and frequency of sleep and the ways in which I was being woken up and such. Um, so these days, uh, more so, uh, dreams come when stuff happens, you know, like I'll do a work or visit some spirits or, you know, do something and then I'll have a dream about that. They'll come and speak there. Um, or if I need something and I, and I don't have the time to like divine or do other things, then I'll just like set the intention to wake up with the answer and I'll wake up and there'll be a dream and I'll be like, Oh, okay. So what it is and go from there. So, yeah. Yeah. That, uh, that answer piece has been pretty significant for me and it's, it, it's happened before, but at this point it seems like it, it happens mostly with these, these Burroughs and Bowie dreams that are still kind of ongoing and are most constant. There's uh, either when I need more clarity or uh, for whatever reason, haven't sat down with some kind of Oracle. Um, yeah. It's that asking the question and inevitably one or both of them will show up and they'll hand me a sequence of cards or, you know, the answer scribbled on paper, some kind of weird drawing to interpret or, uh, whatever. And that, that's been happening a lot more in the last year or two, I would say. Um, and I, I'm fascinated by that. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a type or a degree of dreaming that I haven't really experienced, uh, until more recently. And it's very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, again, I think I used to do a lot more discrete and separated things at one point. And I think that it kind of is now just, it's all the thing, you know, mm-hmm. and Absolutely. that might be dreams and that might be sitting at my altar and that might be when I'm praying in the morning and it might be sitting with my cards at the coffee shop. Um, or it might be when I'm sleeping, you know, because uh, as my, as the pace of my life continues to accelerate, um, it's more so about just finding a time for, for something to speak through any of those mechanisms when I needed to, you know, and it's more just a matter of like remembering to pause for a moment and be like, all right, something's up. I need some advice guys. Come and help me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Aiden. Were you going to say something? Oh no, that was just, I, I agree with that completely. That's definitely the, the shape of how things have gone for me is, uh, it, where it becomes all one thing to such a degree that the things that aren't in there, uh, I'm now going in. And again, this is usually on the trance side, 
uh, and talking to my contacts there and go, how do I bring this all together? Uh, and so like I have a practice that I was given in there now um, where I arrange things uh, on the little shelf that you guys can see behind me since we're on Zoom. Uh, and I set up uh, a few items uh, and kind of really spend time with them uh, before I leave the shop for the day. And then when I go into trance at night, one of the things that I do at the beginning is I go in, reach through to that item and basically kind of pull it into the trance to whatever it is that I set up. And I handle those things again. Uh, I put on the jewelry that I took off at the end of the day uh, and I go into the trance world. Uh, and then at the end of that process, I do the same thing. I take everything off, put them into the box, set things back up exactly as they were and set them back into the shop. Uh, and that has produced a huge amount of integration. Uh, I don't think it's super specifically important what it is that I'm doing, but because it's hard for me, I think, as consciously to reach from the shop into the trance world, uh, you know, I have that same sense of connection to all of the things that I'm doing, but it's not as visual or anything. Uh, it's not as tangible, but going the other way is super tangible. And it's really opened up kind of a, a massive conduit uh, of sharing between those two worlds. Uh. Yeah, I think for me that going back to this piece that we talked about in our last conversation, that that integration of everything together and not that 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 fragmentation of magical life and then non-magical life or whatever that that's been a significant thing for me on all fronts but including the dreaming stuff specifically it feels like uh it feels like once that integration happens if you're always standing in the current then the experience of dreaming and living and working and doing magic and whatever it becomes something different i think for me there was the, uh the the energy required to sort of shift gears when I was viewing it as separate things. I think there was, there was sort of a lack of uh, efficiency in that. And so, you know, if you spend most of the night kind of trying to shift gears, then how much time is there to actually get wherever it is that you need to go in the dreams. And I think when that integration happens and things, you sort of drop that with the thing that I think is a pretty artificial uh, delineation between magic and non-magic stuff, then I think there are different things that can happen and they, they happen with greater frequency because, you know, you're already standing in the river. So it's easier to sort of pick you up and take you wherever you need to go as opposed to, you know, trying to make the trip to the river in the first place, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Jonathan, Got anything to add to this? No, I think you guys pretty much had it. <laughs> uh -huh. I'm just enjoying the show. Uh, it's kinda, yeah. Uh, what was I going to say? I was I was thinking of something. And I got I caught off on listening to to Fabiku talk. <laughs> but I really think that there is uh, something to be said about not not losing your magical practice on a, on in their everyday life 
And mm-hmm. I think back on on many of our ancestors and how they actually lived. Um, and and I think that that's uh, I think I said this in the last show that it, that's something that I feel like that we've lost in our in our our own practices every day is that we don't connect. Uh, you know, almost every waking moment with spirit and 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 being grateful for what we are and what we have and what we're doing and, and you know we don't we've kind of we've kind of gone into this robotic automated world where everything just we kind of do the same thing every day and I'm I'm bad about this at times and I'll catch myself doing it that I do the same thing every single day and I forget to that what I am is actually something extremely magical and it's something that um I should be grateful for but we just kind of we get in these ruts you know mm-hmm. and I think that that's a part of of you know I think the the dream state is something that we have forgotten how to use to our advantage um you know there's many things like I said before healings and stuff that you can do or can be done in a dream state that um may not work as well uh, or at all while you're awake, because there's a certain level, you know, and, and you guys are probably smarter on the scientific side of this, but the brain waves themselves are different while we're sleeping than they are while we're awake. And those different brain waves, different frequencies, you know, and that's, that's a whole nother, uh, part of our practice or should be a part of our practice, I think. Mm-hmm. But yeah, well, and the ego is more dormant, right? Mm-hmm. The conscious mind is more the, the ego and conscious mind are more dormant there, which make it more open Correct. to other things possibly, right? Yeah. Well, we're more open to healings. We're more open to ideas where, you know, you guys, you know, Aiden was talking about um, getting parts of practices in his dreams. I think it was Aiden. I can't see you guys, so I'm guessing by voice. Um, and uh, and that's, you know, it's something that we don't use. That You know, we, we and I, I read a lot of books. I like to read, but that's somebody else's practice. So practice becomes personal when you, when you have your, you kind of go in and you find your own way. And, and I think that's, it's good to have a certain set of, of uh, rules and guidance to get you there. But I think at some point it's just like, and I, and I, 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 I use martial arts a lot because I'm, I'm very familiar with it, but at a certain point in martial arts, you kind of do your own thing. You know, and at some point it's R and D and some people get so stuck on a certain way of doing things that they don't get out of that box. And, and Fabika was really good about pushing people out of their box. And I, you know, if anybody hasn't taken one of his classes, you're missing out, but, um, he's helped me in my own practice because I get, you know, I got stuck in my, my own way. And I, you know, I'm like, listening to him talk i'm like damn there's a there's a bajillion other things i could have done to get to this point you know why why didn't i think of that but i think we just get stuck in that rut you know anyway so that's my two cents on it well and and i think one of the i think one of the 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 useful things that you just said john is that for for me there's uh once the dream started to take on a different quality i realized that this was one way to sort of discover or map or access that individual cosmology or, right. or ecology kind of thing. And that's 
for me, that's been one of the biggest things when I realize, oh, wait, there's certain symbols that keep showing up. There's certain colors, there's certain people, there's certain locations, there's certain spirits, there's certain actions that, that keep taking. There's this, I had a series of dreams that happened over, I don't know, a few weeks where every single time Burroughs showed up, he was holding his hands in a very specific thing, a sort of like a mudra, but not in a classical sense. But so I'm like, why is that showing up? And then I started playing with that and sort of following the leads uh, you know, where that went. So I think there's something, there's something cool in dreaming. I mean, whether you have, you know, what, however your dreams look, I think there's a way to access that personal cosmology and, and ecology through dreaming. And I think that that, that to me is one of the most uh, significant parts of it. Yeah. Cosmology. That, that's, that's, that's an excellent way of putting that because it kind of becomes your own world, you know, and it really is. And there's the, uh, people miss out on, I think, a bigger part of magic and a, a bigger part of the spiritual realms by not going out on their own and find their own things. There's there's a bajillion different ways to do one thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's, yes, there's herbs that do certain things, but there's there's a, there's a probably 200 herbs that will do one thing, right? Some of them are, have become mainstream, some of them have not, but some of them are easier to get a hold of, which is probably why they aren't used, but still... There's 200 ways to do one thing. So, you know, to go out and kind of find your own path and find your own way, dream work is, is invaluable in my mind. I, I find all kinds of weird things in, in dreams, like you're talking about, symbols especially, mm-hmm. stuff that when it first started happening, I, I would go back and, and try to research the symbol to find it nowhere, something close. And and in particular, one I can think of was a bind rune that I, I couldn't find an actual, even the runes themselves didn't seem to match up exactly. And so it was just, you know, those are the types of things that we find that are, are important to our own practices that I think, I think helps us grow. So my question is, so we're, when we're setting out on our, our journey and we're, looking at these things and people, you know, who are listening to this are at various levels. Right. And, you know, for me, and it sounds like for kind of everybody, everybody on the call here today, you know, we've kind of got to this place where we have, we understand our own language. We understand, um, we can see things that are meaningful and so on. Right. But to me, that's like that's not where people start, right? That's not where I started. I don't think that's where anybody started. And, <laughs> oh no! Right? And so, I mean, my question is this, right? Like, I remember, right? I, I mean, how do we, how do we know what might be? How? What are the ideas around how we might recognize um, what's our own bullshit? What's what's the fact that we ate a spicy burrito before bed and shouldn't have? Right. Um, you know, what, what, what is, what is us, you know, from like a sort of ceremonial point of view, um, like being in that Yassad hall of mirrors kind of place as opposed to actually making contact or as Gordon White says on, on his podcast, like when, when, how do we recognize that we're just playing in our own sandbox versus actually getting out into the universe? You know, how, how do people make those connections? How, do, how do you, you know, what have you done to sort of um, see beyond that thing and, and sort of move out into the wider universe? Cause you know, a lot of people get into stuff and I'm just like, you know, we start having conversations and, and you can kind of see it from the outside, 
but it's so sticky from the inside, you know? I don't know. Right. In my personal opinion, and, and I got some of the best advice I uh, ever from a friend of mine that does paranormal research and, and, and does a lot of medium work. It, the, the best advice I ever got was if it smells like bullshit, it probably is. Uh-huh. I mean, and that's, you know, I mean, it's simple, but it's true if you really think about it. I mean, if you really listen to, if, you know, meditation, you know, being in tune with your own self and understanding who you are, that's the biggest thing to me. And after that, the rest of it, you can kind of sense, you know, this is crap. Why am I doing this? This doesn't, this doesn't work for me. It may work for someone. I'm not saying it's all crap. What I'm saying is that you can kind of smell when it's crap for you, when it's not going to work. And, you know, you're, you're going to, you know, all of us did it. I mean, you're going to go through a bunch of, of, of books and education and people and, you finally find the path that really works for you. And that's, uh, that's really, that's kind of part of it. It's part of the initiation of, of doing magic in my mind. But mm. I mean, there are things that people can do, I think to better, to, to kind of better that situation. And one of them is just knowing your own alphabet, what I call your alphabet. Um, and that's kind of knowing the symbology in your own during meditation, during journey work. I mean, we all kind of have our own way of interpreting things. And once you've learned what your alphabet is, the rest of it's kind of easy. And, and it goes back into the learning your bullshit thing. But, you know, and that's, that's my mind anyway. That's, that's how I kind of, that's how I help guide people now. If people ask me questions on how to get started in this is just kind of get out there and learn who you are. I mean, uh, you know, there's don't, don't take what everybody says seriously and just kind of, unless it's for Biku. Because that man doesn't tell him bullshit to nobody. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think that the, one of the things I like that you just said, John, was that how this is part of the initiation, right? I think that, I think that one of the things that happens for a lot of people is, is it's almost like people feel kind of defeated or they get disillusioned about the fact that they're static on the line or that maybe 80% of their dream was bullshit or some kind of projection. That to me is normal. I mean, that, I mean, in the beginning, like I think a lot about signal and noise in the beginning, there's just a shitload of noise on the line and it takes time to clear it. It might take years. It might take decades to clear. I still feel like I'm clearing noise constantly. And, and the thing is, you know, and for me, so that, that piece is important because if it feels like mostly noise, don't lose hope with that. Don't assume that you can't dream or you can't do magic or you can't divine. That's bullshit. This is all just part of the alchemy of, of reducing that noise and amping the signal. And, you know, for me, the other part of this is the way that I learned to recognize things is, is uh, this is where I think this whole animal body piece becomes important. You know, I mean, my brain will come up with a million things about what a dream means or what a conversation with someone means or what a tarot card means. Most of it's bullshit. Most of it's just complete self-generated bullshit. But there's something in the bones of my body that say that symbol, that color, that spirit, that interaction, this pattern between cards, it matters. There's something there. Follow that thread. And it takes a while, I think, to develop that instinct or to rediscover that instinct. I think everybody has it. I think it's just a matter of getting back to it. And that's also part of the initiation. And so to me, the bones, this animal body piece is a big deal. And I think the other thing to look for is 
if, if nothing is unexpected, if you're always getting the answers you want, then you're just generating bullshit because, uh, I've had so many unexpected things happen with the, with these dreams and with the spirits and with divination answers. I didn't want answers. I didn't like shit that showed up in ways I never would have imagined. And that for me is a sign when you start, when you sort of broken past the bounds of your own self-generated stuff. And, you know, not, not that I'm saying it's somehow pure hundred percent objective pr- truth. I don't think that happens. I think there's always some element of, of projection or flavor happening in the mix. And I think, again, you just have to kind of accept that and deal with it. But if, if God is always in your image, then you're probably just making shit up. Mm. Yeah, I think that for me. Go go ahead, Jonathan. I talked over you. Oh, I thought I talked over you. So we'll just say, um, no, I, I can't disagree with that anymore. I, I think that if you always get the answer, I like that. If you always get the answer, it's probably bullshit. I agree with that 100%. The answer you want. I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say the answer you want. I agree with that 100%. I don't think that there's any spirit that's ever going to just give you whatever, you know, um, I think you're good. There's trials and tribulations in there. There's things that you're going to have to do or you, that you may not think is necessary, but you know, it's kind of part of it. So yeah, better explanation. I think one of the things that I latched on to relatively early on, um, was was to sort of maintain a kind of skepticism and you know i like i would have these dreams or i would like go and talk to a spirit in a ceremony or whatever um and something would surface and there would be this impulse to be like oh this is great and it means this and it means that and look how it ties into all of these other pieces and you know here's how it explains my whole history and 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 on and on and on right and and kind of after like doing a round or two of that and realizing that it wasn't real it wasn't true in the way that i thought it was true i started saying to myself well time will tell what it means if it means something then i will know eventually right it seems like this and you know there's a thread here as somebody else sort of used that word right there's a thread to pursue, but this sort of impulse towards making a big narrative about what it means, how it explains my life, how it ties into my destiny, you know, how it's part of my karma and where I'm going in every life that I've ever lived. These really big stories, I, I'm kind of inherently skeptical of them almost all the time. And even things where there are really sort of concrete patterns um, you know, like in the Orisha divination that I've experienced over the last, you know, 18 years, there, there are these through lines for sure. Um, but I, but I also still kind of refuse to allow myself to believe that I know what it means yet. I know some of what it means. I understand pieces of the pattern. I get the tendencies and I can see some of the big story elements, but that doesn't mean that I know what that's going to mean next month. And that doesn't mean that that defines me in the way that, you know, I think a lot of the sort of early experiences with this and 
sometimes what I see with other people where they define themselves based on these ideas. Cool. I had a dream about the ascended masters. That's wonderful. Does that mean like I'm a secret initiative of the secret order of the wizard monkeys of all time? I don't know what that means, right? Like that's cool. Yeah. yeah. Right. I'll take it. Take it. A, go ahead. Is that the next T-shirt, Wizard Monkeys? That is the next T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I just sent Faviku a couple pages of something that I wrote that is exactly this conversation. Um, and there's a bunch of things that kind of you guys have already touched on that I think are really relevant to these questions, which is everything comes filtered through our experience and through our enculturation, whether this is society at large or the Orisha tradition or Norse paganism, whatever it is that we've kind of latched onto and, and provided for ourselves as a language. And the things that, to me, that, that eventually, and I don't know about the Orisha tradition, but I've never gone there, but I see that that can really limit the the data stream and our interpretation of it. This doesn't mean that it's a bad thing at all. It's just that you have to be aware of it. It's the the whole, uh, you know, if 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 all you got is a hammer, <laughs> everything is a nail, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so being open to the fact that things will come in that you can't place. Uh, and to me, those are usually this, the kind of keys, like uh, that point where I go to visit a spirit that I deal with, and it's really different, uh, and usually in a way that I'm not super comfortable with. Uh, often that's the place where the situation can shift, and it's. I feel like it's that uh, that's where you're getting the option to see a little bit deeper. Um, what Fabiku was saying, I think, early on is is really true. That all of this is really long term process for me. Uh, I feel like I'm six feet farther along in trance work than where I started close to 30 years ago. Uh, I don't feel like I have become a master of trance work or anything like that. It's never been easy. Uh, I spend a lot of time getting in and out of there and I'm better at it than I used to. And there's less of that, but uh, it's not a cakewalk. Um, And then a lot of it, to me is, yeah, are you being, or am I being challenged? Because uh, in my experience, what the spirits that I interact with want of me or for me is usually outside of my comfort zone a little bit. And again, kind of where we were earlier, they're not trying to get me to do something that's antithetical to my being or something. But uh that point where they show up and go, okay, we're going to rearrange everything a little bit here. Uh, and there's no clear, it's not like we're going to give you mystical powers now. <laughs> That's never happened. Uh, I'm still waiting for that too. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, I'm, I'm figuring Tuesday, maybe next Tuesday, yeah. but uh, instead it's more like I, I have blockages. I have shit in my way. I I have a great example of this. So I work with this entity uh, who is a a mother figure, as I see her, who lives in a barrow. Uh, She's a strange kind of neo-Celtic-y thing. I don't know where that part came from because that's not my scene. And uh, 
about the third time I interacted with her, I said, what do I do so we can interact better? And she said, uh, I want you to write a letter to every single person you feel you've harmed and apologize. You don't have to send it, but you have to write it to every single person that you have ever harmed that you think of. <laughs> it's the least magical thing you can think, right? This is AA shit. Uh, and this is coming you know, in the grave with this, this being. Uh, and I popped out. I was like, okay, then. <laughs> Grabbed a composition book and started writing these letters. And it took weeks uh, before I really couldn't really, I, I had kind of run out. And what I think that that was, was this was, I was given a tool, like, you've got a bunch of junk that is interfering with our ability to, to communicate. And so this is a way to clear that shit out. Uh, and it changed everything. Uh, one of the most magical changes that I've ever had, uh, totally nothing I wanted to do, nothing I enjoyed. That was not a great eight or 10 hours. <laughs> You, you didn't even get to go shopping at the occult shops, right? I didn't even get to no go. No incense, buy. no candles, no, no, no like statues, nothing. And to me, that stuff is the th is the stuff that begins to pile up, and you begin to go, okay, there is there's a process here. I'm being molded. Uh, I'm being shaped. I'm being helped. Uh, and uh, these things are actually helping me do things that matter. Uh, and there's a lot of that. There's a lot of stuff that is like where I can kind of, I end up wandering in or, or having an interaction with something and going, what the fuck is this? And the answer is almost never anything spectacular. It's just like, this is this, this is, this is something you need to see. Uh, period. This is something you need to do. Period. Okay. Uh, but yeah, when, when somebody pops up and goes, Ooh, you have superpowers. It's like, that's probably crap. Uh, that's, that's a pretty yeah. much down giveaway. Uh, yeah, you are now my, uh, consort. Usually, you know, we, we think that way. We, we, we sensualize that way. This is a really common one that I've had with people that I've worked with is there's a lot of, uh, if you're dealing with things that have kind of human forms as you perceive them, there can be a lot of sexuality there. This is our body's way of processing data. This doesn't mean you are now, you know, Loki's wife or something. Uh, this is a way of, of information transfer a lot of times. Uh, that well, we just read it the way that we know. Yeah. And, you know, I think going back to what you were talking about, Andrew, with, with the shadow stuff too, I think that, I think that one of the ways that we can look at whether we're generating things or bullshitting ourselves or whatever it is, is I think it, it, it becomes important to understand your own gaps, your own weaknesses, your own wounds, your own shadow, your own, your own places where you don't feel whole or strong or clear or complete or coherent, where you might be artificially creating or translating something or ascribing meaning that doesn't exist as a way of trying to ease that pain or to fill that gap. And not that there's anything wrong with that, that happens, but uh, it happens a lot. And I think and don't that, build a church around it. Right. For sure. That's the thing, right? <laughs> you know, I think you, you have to be able to spot that stuff to say, you know, uh, this is probably not in fact 
that I'm some super special secret initiate of whatever. I just, I just feel kind of unimportant and this makes me feel important. So I'm really not going to invest in this as an actual magical sign. And instead I'm going to sort my shit so that that kind of static is reduced as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, being think, a human, uh, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good time. Go ahead, Jonathan. Yeah, Abe, not, you know, I think you really hit something on the head there when you, when you talked about studying for so long and, and only feeling six foot along. I mean, that's, people get into magic thinking it's instantaneous. And we're programmed through our entire lives to either not believe in it or only believe in it in a limited aspect. So practice, I mean, it's just like anything, practice is important. I mean, you if you don't do it, you ain't going to have it. <laughs> you know, it's just basic logic. Uh, you know, you, you, you're not going to, you know, spin fire out of your fingers just reading a book on, you know, whatever. But so I, I think you really you know, kind of hit that on the head there. That, and that's, I think, a big part of what's missing out there right now is, is, is a lack of practice, a lack of – also a lack of uh, uh, understanding – back to understanding of yourself, you know, having uh, the – you know, feeling like you have the ability to do that is where I'm trying to go with it. And my brain's not finding the word, but – which is pretty normal for me, but, uh, you know, practice meditation, um, doing your journey work, doing, doing the work. I mean, that's all kind of part of it. Mm -hmm. So you gotta like, I think that this is a, a moment to segue back to our list of questions here. Cause we have a big list of questions. We do. Thanks. And uh, yeah, we're going <laughs> to see if we can get through some of them. And there's a couple from some other people that we'll try and get to too. But you know, I, I, you have the, you have the list in front of you, right? Aiden? I do. You want, you want to hit yeah. us with the one that strikes sure. you first? Yeah. Okay, first, is that Dre's list or is this everybody else? <laughs> Dre's list. Yeah. We're going to start with Dre's list. Yeah. <laughs> so uh dre asked and there's multiple parts to this so i'm going to throw them out and then people can address the question however they want to because it's i think there's five or six parts to this question and you can pick uh she says i'd like to know what is your desert desert island practice if you had to pick a single practice that has most changed your, your life what is it how did you find it how has it changed has it changed over time or stayed the same and is that the practice you would take to the desert island, or would it be something different? So I think those are all in a, a theme, and so I think you all can address those however you would like. And uh, why don't we start with Jonathan? Uh, I just said it, meditation and journey work. That's it. <laughs> why? Because it's the basis of it all. So, I mean, if I'm going to do anything, it's going to. I always go back to the root. And, uh, that's, so that's my kind of practice. My first practice would be not to get on a fucking Island because I don't like not being able to go anywhere. So <laughs> I'm not going to get stuck on a desert Island, right? <laughs> so, uh, Aiden has a future in, uh, marooning avoidance terms. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. But yeah, and uh, I was going to say, I'm totally with you. It's like, for me, it's a no brainer on trance work. Uh, in uh, around 87, I took about maybe six classes with a fairy tradition teacher. And I got in as far as the trance induction methodologies. And I was like, I'm out of here. Y'all can keep your religious practices <laughs> and wherever else you're going. Cause I don't even care. <laughs> uh, and uh so yeah, I've now I'm whatever that is. I'm 30 years in on that, and that is the one thing that is the most important. By I don't know by 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 a thousand miles, it's that's the most important thing to me, and it has changed continuously for that entire time. I think that um, for me, you know, so when I was when I was a teenager and into my 20s doing magic. I was really invested in the idea of like, like the whole you know, Crowley's school of Thelema. And there were people out there who were like, it's a religion. I'm like, no, it's a philosophy and a technology. And I just like refused to have any notion of it be uh, religious in any kind of concept. Right. And you know, that, that kind of like gymnastics went on in my brain for quite a long time. And one of the practices that I was advised by a teacher to really work on was this practice called Libra Resh, where four times a day at the four sort of cardinal points of the sun, you stop what you're doing, you recite a, 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 a litany to, uh, you know, the sort of Egyptian or Egyptified aspect of the sun at that point during the day. And, you know, I did this, you know, three to four times a day, every day for years, you know? And like, I was always sort of pursuing this, like, how do I get it perfect? How do I get it perfect? And it's brutal. Like, I think I'll ever really achieve like maybe one or two months of like perfectness through all that whole time. Cause it's really, really hard to make that kind of time in your life. If you're, if you're a busy person in, in the world. And I remember I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine about belief and religion and my like misgivings about the OTO's emphasis on religious practice and stuff like that. And he just turned to me and said, but what about doing Resh isn't praying? And I kind of like open and close my mouth about 20 times to try and say something about it. And then it just like stopped. And I was like, huh, I see your point. And so, yeah, exactly. And so, and one of the things that I think that I, you know, not unironically, am so, such a part of my practice now is prayer, right? And the act of praying and so on, you know, with all the spirits that I work with, you know, with the universe, with other things, it's, it's evolved into such a, a full and um, intense aspect of my practice that, I mean, to me, that's probably the most central thing in many ways is my my prayer, my capacity to articulate through prayer, my capacity to ask for what I need through prayer and to be able to make that clear, um, you know, my, my capacity to sort of articulate um, the assistance that I need through prayer, you know, and I think that that has been, you know, become my most powerful practice. All the other stuff, the bits and pieces and ceremonies and candles and, and other things, you know, I can go visit those spirits wherever they are and pray and it's going to work for the most part. 
So yeah, that's the thing for me. Yeah, I think for me, uh, if I had to pick just one, it would be uh, making offerings. You know, I think that um, that that has become the foundation that fuels everything else. I, you know, I, I, uh, I mean, if, if I were going to pick something that I think is sexier, I would say sigil magic. And listen, I like sigil magic and I like sexier magic, but uh, the offerings are the things that fuel that it's, it's part of what makes it effective. It's part of, you know, cause to me, all of this is relational and offerings are the things that, that, I mean, they do a lot, but they, they build bridges. They, they, they allow things to grow roots. they, maintain these relationships and i think without these relationships then i'm fucked and you know there's there's no what's the point of doing magic in some ways without for me anyway without these relationships and so uh you know in terms of how i found it 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 was when i started studying the the orisha traditions forever ago and uh i don't really think i thought much about offerings at all uh, prior to that so any anything i've really learned about that i mean all my elders get credit for that completely but uh and it's something that it's not only changed my life and changed my magical practice, but I think it's, it's changed my worldview on things. It's changed the way that I move in the world, this idea of uh, offerings and exchange and giving and reciprocity and relationships and acknowledgement and devotion and, you know, all of these other things that, that uh, are pretty central to all of the rest of the stuff that I do. So uh, yeah, for me, for sure, it would, it would be the offerings. Yeah, that's definitely the the mechanical aspect. Things I do when I'm not flat on my back or sitting, <laughs> that's the biggest thing yeah. for me. And I have to credit Jason Miller 100% for that. I, I was, retrospectively, I can see where I did them, but I never came, I have no traditional background, so I didn't come from anything that, that those were a part of, but I could see where what I was really doing in some cases were offerings, but he was the one that really made it clear to me, like, oh, okay, this is, this explains why some things work better than others. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I have to agree. I have yeah. to agree with that. Uh, I, you know, I, I really never did much offering either. I'm like Aiden. I came, you know, my, my background is kind of convoluted anyway, but um, I really didn't get into giving offerings until I, I started studying more of a shamanic idea. Um. And that's, it's really changed my practice. And it's, it's, and I, I say it a lot, but I, it's made me more grateful for what I have and what I do in, in a, in a weird way, I guess. But, uh, I think the magic is stronger now than it was before by far. So I agree with that 100%. Yep. So the next one up is from Dr. Jen Zart of Revelor Press. Uh, who is awesome uh, and is currently probably sitting somewhere in Washington uh, laying out my book. So I'm thinking extra awesome thoughts to her so that we can get that out in the world soon. Uh, and she writes, uh, for each of you, I'd like to know more about your favorite plant to work with magically and why. And it can be two if you can't pick just one. How about you, Andrew? Uh a good question i mean i think that uh it's a hard one to answer because i have two relationships with with plants 
One is uh, in the Orisha tradition, bathing with plants is huge, right? And so there's like a constellation of plants that are often ones I get sent to when I need stuff. Um, and so those are, those are really um, exciting to me. Um, I think that, you know, I have, um, I have a crown of thorns plant in the store, which is probably one of my favorite plants. I have a lot of plants in the store. I grow a lot of things. And, um, you know, this, to me, this plant is, is actually a guardian of the business, right? It sits there. Uh, I, I, we tend it, right? It's, it's almost constantly in bloom. It has these beautiful orange, uh, flowers, you know, and, uh, and then it's covered in these really thick spiky thorns. Right. And, you know, I, I ask it and, and, and make offerings to it to deter anybody who has bad intentions from coming through the door because I don't want to deal with them and I don't want to be vulnerable and I don't want to have to, you know, worry about those things. So, you know, so this is a plant that I work with regularly. Uh, I often give it uh, candles and sometimes other things. So maybe that's a good one to talk about, but you know, I, I probably have like a 20 or 30 plants that I work with on the regular and it's pretty hard to choose amongst them. So, but I'll leave it at that. Jonathan, how about you? Yeah. Um, it, I have a pretty strong relationship with rosemary and I, and I, and it goes back to being from a kid. I think it, you know, I use it in protection uh, a lot, you know, kind of like what, Andrew said, but I don't, I don't know that that's, that's actually what it's ever used for, but you know, and it helps with my memory. I don't know if you guys know a lot, but I forget. <laughs> so my brain, I I mean, it helps about me. yeah, it, yeah. You know, I forget things and forget words a lot, but um, I use it a lot with remembrance, stuff like that, protection. Um, I just like the smell of it. It's invigorating. Um, there's a fire to it and, and I believe it aligns along that element. Uh, that's probably my number one, but there's, gosh, uh, you know, there's, there's so many out there that, that I use on a regular basis. And I mean, if you get into resins, it even gets deeper in, in those plants that the resins come from. So, but yeah, rosemary is probably my number one just for those reasons. For me, I would say there's two, uh, and even that is hard to pick. But uh, the first is uh, Abre Camino, uh, a plant for road opening. For me, I, I, uh, I kind of look at, in some ways, almost all magic is sort of active road opening uh, one way or another. So that's, that's, a, that's a really central plant to me. There's probably not a day that goes by that I don't work with it in some way. Uh, the other one would be uh, aloes wood, which I love a ton. I work mostly with it in the form of incense or oils. Uh, for me, that's a plant person that there's a uh, there's something inherently magical about it. it uh, if someone asked me what does magic smell like, I would say a really fine aloes wood incense. Um, it has this kind of uh, wish fulfilling jewel quality to it that I think is fascinating and. 
so to me, that combination between uh, the road opening of Abre Camino and this sort of wish-fulfilling capacity of uh, Aloe's Wood makes a, makes a pretty potent kind of one-two punch. Um, so yeah, those, those, are, those are my top two. Yeah. Yeah, I have to go with two as well. And, and the first one is the early one, um, which is Datura. I had a, the first, my first kind of actual magical mentor uh, allowed me access. He did not give it to me, uh, to his Datura stash when I was 15. And uh, I uh, spent a week in Datura land, which uh, is incredibly not pleasant. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I have no other way to, I don't know. I mean, people go, should I do this? And I just go, no, it's awful. <laughs> but uh, it, uh, it blew my doors. Uh, I had been taking uh, drugs, looking to get to the other side, acid, mescaline, mushroom. And uh, none of them did it. I'm not an easy hallucinator. Uh, it's not a, that's not a, not a skill I have and uh, the Datura just kind of like tore my brain out of my head and and went running with it and I managed to stay out of the hospital and stay out of jail and uh, stay out of the loony bin uh, for the whole week that it lasted Um, and it did this thing (laughs) that I've talked about before. I, th- I don't know whether in, in anything that's public, but I know I've done a, on some recording I talked about it. And my experience with Datura is that I would walk into a place and entire scenes would be going on involving people I knew, various things would be happening. And they would be going on and they were generally incredibly confusing and upsetting. <laughs> and uh, they were real. They were actively, it was me walking into the room with the three of you in there talking and maybe, you know, Fabiki's making fun of me and maybe Jonathan is wearing his pants on his head or something, making fun of me. All of these crazy things are going on, but it's 100% real. There is no body vibration that I am high. There is no visual distortion that I am high. There is no sign. There's no signature that this is not real. Uh, And Every time this would happen, it was traumatic, and I would kind of break down and uh, be actively crying or begging these people that were friends of mine who were being horrible to me (laughs) to stop being horrible to me. Uh, And they would begin to fade out uh, like ghosts in a movie, uh, just one by one fading out until there was no one there, and I would be left realizing that no one had been there. And I felt like what, at the end of this experience, had been shown to me was like, you can experience anything and think it's real. Uh, You can be hurt in innumerable ways uh, by people that you care about and believe that they're real, that it's real when it wasn't. Uh, And I it really opened something up to me about the nature of reality that uh, what I experience is what I experience. Uh, not that there aren't causes, not that there aren't roots, not that 
real things don't happen to us, but that also I can be utterly wrong. <laughs> and to me, that was a huge gift. Uh, and so I don't eat it, but uh, I grow it when I can, and I use the seeds uh, in charms, and the flowers in charms, and uh, I add the flowers and the plant material to waters that I offer to some of the spirits that uh, I do. And that's that's the big one. Um, the practical one is skull cap. I use a skull cap tea or tincture, uh, essentially every night because otherwise my sleep is shitty. Uh, and, uh, it's a really, really good ally for me for that. It allows me to relax. Uh, I tend to get a little bit, uh, fidgety and wiry, uh, feeling when I lie down, uh, to sleep otherwise. And so that's, that's my that's my main man uh or woman or whatever it is uh on the on on the on the day to day so another question and this is from chris i don't know how to say your last name but it's t i h o r christopher uh is how i would say it if it was my name and i had never been told what it was uh asks what popular culture, artifact, movie, book, et cetera, et cetera, had the biggest influence on your practice? And uh, I'd start with Fabico on that one. Oh, um, I saw, <laughs> I saw the dark crystal in the theater when it came out. And that movie uh, blew my mind as a kid. Uh, it, it, uh, somehow it felt like it made tangible this world of magic and spirits and wise creatures who live in the mountains and dish out wisdom and this, this questing for this missing shard and, you know, all of it, uh, it, it's still one of my favorite movies. I have it on DVD. I've watched the shit out of that. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a ton of pop culture influences in the mix in different ways, but for me, that movie for sure was one of those things that, uh, it, it made me want to undertake the quest to find the magic shard. Uh, and, and I think, I think it gave me, uh, some, some weird kind of magical visual reference for, non-human entities and and the relationships and the ecologies in which these things live and uh you know for sure uh the dark crystal hands down for me yeah absolutely <laughs> nice andrew um i'm gonna, I'm gonna give you two um so the first thing that was really a huge influence on me which is like one of those like hilarious it's pretty funny looking back on it now um so uh, I grew up in the 80s, and uh, ninjas were a huge thing in the 80s, right? Huge, yeah. right? Uh, and the the hugest of the ninjas during that time was this guy, Shokasugi, right? And uh, I would say if you're unfamiliar and you want to, like, uh, you have time that you don't need to do something more important with, go watch Pray for Death. It's a, it's a classic. It's, it's one of the most ridiculous movies of that time frame. Um, but so me and my friends were hanging out, uh, you know, like eight, nine, ten years old, all about the ninjas, wannabe ninjas. Um, and 
we started trying to meditate because of these movies and because of this person. And not only did we start trying to meditate, you know, there's the, we started trying to like find out what the real thing was. Cause we, we were like, there's a real thing. We know this is the movies, but there's a real thing. And so we started like looking for a meditation. We started like coming from a small town that I lived downtown to this martial arts store and buying books on martial arts meditations. And, you know, there are these sort of, ninja hand meditations that we came across where you hold your hands in different positions, channel energy and breathe and, and all of this kind of stuff. And so I started doing this kind of stuff all the time. You know, we set up in my friend's uh, family's house. They had one of those crawl spaces, you know, where it's like sort of like three, four feet high and people store stuff in there, but it was under much of the house. So we set up our spot in the back where we would go sit and meditate and so on. So, you know, for me, this practice led to learning how to actually meditate, learning, you know, getting into martial arts and really learning more about meditation, energy work and, and all of those kinds of things. So I think that that was, that was one. Uh, and the other would be uh, Big Trouble in Little China, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I remember like finally showing yeah. that movie to, uh, to my partner Hanlon and, and he was like, huh, you're like some weird combination of all three of the main characters, like all rolled into one. A little That's bit it. Kurt Russell, like kind of ridiculous, kind of like whatever. A little bit, um, you know, the, the character Wang, who's like this kung fu guy. And a little bit Egg Chen, this sort of like old alchemist wizard guy, all kind of mixed together, you know. And that was a movie that I just I watched over and over and over again and, you know, informed a lot about my as you say, my sort of my aesthetic or my, my interest, you know, carried that martial arts stuff into a, a sort of broader possibility that there were roots and plants and things that had magical power and that, you know, I could dig into them and look at them and figure them out or so on. So those are, those are my, my two picks. That's awesome. <laughs> what do you got, Jonathan? I, I don't even think I can, I can beat any of those. But <laughs> it's not really a contest. Oh, well, that's, that's good. <laughs> you know, gosh, I don't even, you know, I, I think I'm trying to think of my childhood. I, one of the thing that comes to mind the most, and this is silly, is was uh, Kung Fu with David Carradine. I used to watch that movie religiously, and it kind of, I don't know, open my eyes to other things. But I, yeah, I grew up in a really small town, and it was kind of, it wasn't. I mean, even though I, even though I grew up in an open-minded household, it was there wasn't a lot of a lot of that around here. A lot really on TV, I guess. But um, Kung Fu was probably the thing that affected me the most. Um, but that's I honestly that's all I can think of. <laughs> so I really can't compare with <laughs> with uh, Little China. But anyway. <laughs> That was great. What about, what about you, Aiden? Oh man, for me it's it's pretty straight up, and I talked about it a bunch on Facebook a couple months ago. But uh, the first batch, Nine Princes of Amber through the Courts of Chaos uh, of Amber books, he came back to them later, and they're different. But uh, those books, I would I think, even though I read a lot of fantasy and sword and sorcery stuff from the time I was eleven and 
you know, I'd done the Lord of the Rings when I was in fourth grade, but it took me a while to realize there was this whole crazier genre of this stuff, Michael Moorcock and stuff. But uh, the Amber books actually made sense to me <laughs> in a way that I, before I understood anything about magic or that that was of interest, because uh, it wasn't really discussed as magic. It was like these people had powers and a technology that they used to change the world to their liking. Uh, and that has stuck with me forever. Uh, I still think that they're incredibly uh, useful magical books. Uh, and uh, I just read them again, probably two months back, and uh, was laughing because there is so much stuff in there that I see as directly related to my past. Mm. Uh, like what he was writing about when I was, uh, you know, a, a, a tiny child. Uh, totally, it, it just gels with me. Uh, I think that there's more in those books about how you adjust your life to what you want it to be uh, than in a lot of books on magic. Uh, uh, but that's just me, and I've been living with them since I was a little kid, and they've always meant a lot to me. Uh, and I think the other one was... Uh, Videodrome by David Cronenberg. Uh, I saw that movie the day it came out in the theater uh with two of my friends uh it's hard to understand how severe that movie was at that point in time uh but it was really severe uh the theater was full when it started and there were maybe two dozen people in that theater when it was done because everybody left they were so disturbed by what they saw or freaked out or grossed out uh we were on acid i thought it was the funniest fucking thing i had ever seen uh we were like tears rolling down our faces. Me, my friend and his girlfriend. Tears rolling down our faces. I don't know why. Uh, it was strictly the drug effect. But uh, watching that movie, I was like, okay, there are other people who are as completely bizarre as I am out there. Uh, like, I totally didn't have any sense of fitting in. Uh, the world made no sense to me. And that seeing that guy vomit that out onto the screen in full-on practical effects. Uh, and I've always had this super distrust of television and that's what that's all about. Uh, yeah, that one just blew my mind and made a massive impact. And I used to try and take anybody that would go with me to go see it at the midnight movies, preferably on drugs. And, uh, pretty much everyone that did hated me for weeks because of the nightmares. But uh, yeah, Rogers Lasney and Videodrome. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I liked a bunch of his books too. His, his stuff was pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Well, we have been talking for like an hour and a half or longer now. It's true. So I, I realize there are probably other questions lingering on that list of questions. And all I can say is, uh, well, put them on hold for next time. <laughs> we'll be back. <laughs> it's my plan. Uh, as long as the, uh, the internet will have us to. Oh yeah. Every three months, I think. I think that's a good plan. Let's do it once a quarter, you know? Oh, man. Sounds good. Um, but right, yes. let me say. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Send send us your questions. We'll uh, 
Yeah, we'll, we'll work on them. And uh, yeah, thanks everybody for hanging out today. It's been, as always, delightful. And uh, I hope I hope folks enjoy it. And we'll pop some links in online for where people can track us down if you want to come and hang out with us on the virtual spaces. And uh, we expect reports from uh, people watching and re-watching these movies and so on. And uh, yeah. If you don't like Videodrome, just tell Aiden. That we don't, right. The rest of us don't need to hear about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, I hope you've really enjoyed it. Uh, a big thanks to the lovely human beings who have put some wonderful reviews on iTunes for the podcast please do consider supporting the Patreon. You know, I sound like a PBS ad, but seriously, even a dollar helps. It all adds up towards being able to make all sorts of exciting things happen, both for yourself and for others. So head on over to patreon.com slash the hermit's lamp, or use the link in the show notes. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.